to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about buying property if you're not a New Zealander. Now, of course, a couple of years back, 2018, let's go back in time for a second, in came the foreign buyer ban. Now, this was going to be the thing that was going to solve housing affordability in New Zealand. <laughs> That's was, the irony, isn't it? This was going to fix it because there were evidently so many foreigners coming in and buying up houses, pushing prices up. And we were sick of it. We were. Now, the interesting thing, of course... Initially, Land Information New Zealand were the ones who were tracking this. Well, how many foreign buyers did we actually have? And this is why the national government brought in that you need to have an IRD number in order to purchase property. Now, Lynn said it's only 3% of people. So then what did the government do? They gave it to Stats New Zealand. Well, let's use some different statistical modelling in order to be able to collect this data. Stats New Zealand came out. Same thing, 3% of properties being bought by foreign buyers. Now, that's the reason that we've got this legislation in here. But there are some exceptions. There are some things to think about. The question today actually comes from listener of the show, Kane, who his girlfriend is from the UK. She's here on a partner visa, doesn't yet have residency. Now, she's got some money in a UK trust for a house deposit. And Kane's been told that she can't be on the title if they buy a property because she's a non-resident. And he says, well, hang on. I see wealthy foreigners on grand designs who don't even <laughs> reside in New Zealand purchasing land here. Tim's not a foreigner, by the way. What, what's the story here? So we're going to go through this today. Now, just to talk a little more about this foreign buyer ban, there were a lot of stories out and there was a perceived problem that there were too many foreign buyers because you'd hear anecdotes that you'd turn up to an auction in Auckland and there'd be people not speaking English. And so they were presumed to be foreign buyers. Now, one thing I do want to do is just tackle this for a moment because Auckland is so diverse and there are parts of Auckland where you'll walk down the street and you won't hear a lot of English. In fact, I've got a friend, uh, Jen, and I think she might listen to the show. Hi, Jen, if you're listening. Her parents have been in New Zealand for decades. Neither of them speaks English. They both speak Cantonese. And they live out in Pakuranga or Howick, I believe, and they don't speak English. Have you met them? No, I haven't met them. I wouldn't have anything to say. And this is the interesting thing, is that there are a lot of people in New Zealand where English isn't their first language, or they might be more comfortable conversing in their native tongue. They might not speak English at all. And that's the wonderful thing, if I can say that, about living in a diverse society where you hear lots of different languages. So I think the perception was that this was a real problem. In reality, it probably wasn't. But that is what brought in these rules. Now, look, these rules around who can buy property in New Zealand and who can't are actually quite complex. And it depends on the sort of property you're buying, whether you're going to live in it yourself, how many days you've been in New Zealand if you're not a New Zealand citizen. But let's go through this because there are three categories really which falls into. There are people who don't need any consent in order to be able to purchase property. You can just do it. There are some people who need consent from the overseas investment office. We'll get into that. And there are some people that just aren't able to purchase at all. So we'll go through these three categories. Andrew, who doesn't need consent to buy property? Who can do it? So firstly, if you're a New Zealand citizen, so you're living in New Zealand or living overseas, but you're a New Zealand citizen, then you can buy property here. No problem at all. Anyone that's ordinarily a resident of New Zealand, and so again, if you're overseas at the moment, you're stuck because of COVID or something like that, no problem. There are exemptions for Australian or Singaporean citizens who wish to purchase. And this is going to be a really interesting one because I have had an increased amount of inquiry in the last month 
from people from Australia and Singapore who want to invest in New Zealand because New Zealand has been the superstar on the COVID stage and they see it as a safe investment. So there will be a lot of investment in my opinion, particularly once the borders open as well. And if you are the partner or a spouse of any of the above. Now, that's exactly right where I wanted to come to with Kane is that I think you've actually been ill-advised here because you would be perfectly able to purchase a property with your partner as long as this property is relationship property. This would be the interesting thing for you, Kane. So whether or not you fall into the de facto relationship law. So you've got to have been living together for three years to fall under de facto. So that might be where you get tripped up. But if she's on a partner visa, she'd be able to do it as long as it's relationship property, as long as they're buying it together. Possibly. Check with your lawyer. Check with your lawyer. Yeah, key message there is probably check with your lawyer in case there is some particular reason why you wouldn't be able to or you wouldn't fall under that partnership exemption. But generally, if you've got a partner, you're able to purchase it with them, even if they're an overseas person. Now, just one thing that I do want to add here, just because you can doesn't mean you're able to necessarily get the funding like a Kiwi. So if you're over in Singapore, you still have to meet the bank's criteria if you want to lend money. So again, there might be LVR restrictions, there might be income restrictions. That can be a bit of a challenge, but from a legal standpoint, you can have property in your name. Now, there was one thing where actually you weren't quite correct, Andrew, if I can say that. You said that any permanent residents or residents are able to purchase in New Zealand, no problem. And you gave the example of being overseas for COVID. That's not actually true. To be considered ordinarily resident within New Zealand, you have to have spent at least in the last year, 183 days, so half the year, had to be spent in New Zealand. So if you're overseas right now in France or England and you're a permanent resident or a resident, but you've gone home for more than six months, maybe you're stuck over there, actually you wouldn't be able to purchase, even if you had lived here for five years prior to that. And that's one of the things that will probably catch people out right now with the situation where it's not easy to come back into the country because you've got to find a spot in managed isolation in order to be able to do that. Next up, you've got people who need consent from the Overseas Investment Office. And these are people who are not ordinarily resident. And that would be that situation that we just talked about if you're stuck overseas and you haven't been here for six months and you're a permanent resident or a resident. And this applies not just to New Zealand residents who don't meet that test of actually have been here for half a year. It also applies to Australian permanent residents and Singaporean permanent residents. So these are people where you're not a citizen of those two countries, but you are a resident there. Now, you need to get consent, and the way you get consent is you make an application, you pay $2,000 to the Overseas Investment Office and give them 10 days. But in addition to that, you're only going to be approved if you're going to live in this property yourself. So if you're a permanent resident of New Zealand, Australia, or Singapore, you want to buy an investment property here, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to live in it yourself in that instance. And there may be some restrictions as well. If you stop living in that property, you may be forced to sell it. Now let's talk about the people that cannot purchase. So if you're in New Zealand on a work visa, a student visa, a work to residence visa, or a working holiday visa, or a visitor's visa, then you do not qualify to be able to own land in your name. Or if you're from anywhere other than Australia or Singapore, if you're a citizen of somewhere else in the world, we don't let you invest here right now. That's right. Now, 
there are some more exemptions. This is the interesting thing about anything that's related to legislation is that, first of all, it's usually quite complex. Second of all, there are usually exemptions and tests in here. So we've already talked about Australian citizens and Singaporean nationals. And the reason that they're exempt is just because of the structure of our free trade agreements. But what the government has said is that if there was a major uptick in Singaporeans or Australians purchasing a lot of investment properties here, they'd relook at that. But those are the exemptions. The other one is in terms of large apartment developments. So a developer, if they're building over 20 units and it's a multi-storey apartment building, they can apply for a certificate so that they're able to sell up to 60% of those apartments to foreign investors. And so there'd be no restrictions about who they could sell those to. Actually, I've seen a lot of developers follow this process now. It's obviously a relatively straightforward enough process that it doesn't hold them up too much. But I think most developers that I've been working with on some of these large-scale apartment blocks are doing this. And the same goes for hotel units as well. So long as you've got at least 20 units, again, they kind of consider these like a commercial venture. So if it's commercial, then there is the ability to invest. Now, with these apartment blocks, they're primarily going to be in Wellington or Auckland. And when I've been looking through at who's actually been granted exemptions, about 70% of them have been in Auckland, where you're going to see more apartment buildings built. And the interesting thing about the hotel units is there has to be a leaseback arrangement. So you've got to then be taking that hotel unit and be leasing it back to someone who's actually going to operate it. And here's the interesting thing. You're not allowed to use it for more than 30 days within the year. So you're not able as say a foreign buyer able to buy that hotel unit and then come live in it for six months of the year. Now one thing I didn't mention about applying for consent from the Overseas Investment Office is that you do have to live within that property as well for over half the year. So if you're a permanent resident of New Zealand, you're based overseas in the UK, you want to come back and purchase a property. Now because you haven't been here for half the year over the last 12 months, you are going to have to apply for consent Now, when you do that, you have to make sure that within a couple of months, you're going to be back here so that you are going to then live in that property for at least six months of the year. Because the Overseas Investment Office don't want you purchasing that property, renting it out for a bit or leaving it vacant where it otherwise could have somebody living in there. Now, again, there's another wee trick that you've got to think about. None of this applies to land that would otherwise be sensitive. So if you needed to apply for consent, you're a permanent resident in New Zealand, you'd still need to apply for permission to purchase a property if it was sensitive. Now, this is very murky in terms of what something sensitive is or not. It's usually something that's rural, so some big farms. It could be land by a river or the sea or a big reserve or a lake, something like that. You're generally going to need a property lawyer involved who will inform you whether something's sensitive or not. But Andrew, are there any other ways to get around this? So it's an interesting topic because I have had a few investors come to me after signing up for a property and paying a deposit and then often actually as the result of the show and I say, hey, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to settle this because I'm not a New Zealand citizen or not a New Zealand resident. And I think there is still a lack of knowledge in the market, even with lawyers, around what you can and can't do. And we've just picked up on one recently. Someone's overseas. They aren't going to be in a position to settle. So they've got to find another investor to take that property off their hands. So you do just have to be very careful about getting the advice and making sure the advice is robust. Because again, you know, lawyers 
a human as well. This one actually just got missed by the sounds of it. It's not something he deals with on a day-to-day basis. He deals with normal conveyancing, but not with overseas investment. And so it's been missed. And when it comes to settlement, it will be a real challenge. Now, one thing that we have floated with this particular investor is, well, mum and dad are here. Maybe they buy the investment on his behalf and they own the property ownership in their name. They take out the mortgage in their name. They use his deposit to do so, in which case uh, they might get away with it. Now, let's just double check that you've been listening, Andrew. Let's run some case studies for you, and you can tell me whether this person would need consent. Am I allowed to look at my notes? No, you're not allowed to look at the notes. Put the notes away. Not an open book test like Mr. Joris's social studies class. (laughs) So let's give an example. I'll read out a case study. Andrew, tell me whether this person needs consent or not, or whether they can't Do you have the applause button ready for me? Yes, I have the claps, and I also have the button at the ready. So here it is. Andrew is a UK citizen who holds a New Zealand permanent resident visa. He's been living in New Zealand for the last eight months, and he has lived in New Zealand that entire time, hasn't left the country. Very sensible thing to do right now. He wants to buy a home to live in. Does he need consent or not? No, he doesn't. He does. He does need consent. Now, that's something, actually, it's quite good that I read that one out because this is something we missed. Oh, well, there you go. In order to be able to purchase as a permanent resident or a resident, you have to have lived in New Zealand for the last 12 months. Now, Andrew from the UK in this instance. It was a trick question. No, it wasn't a trick question. It's just I hadn't given you the answer earlier. (laughs) But in this instance, he'd only lived in New Zealand for the last eight months. You have to have been living in New Zealand for the last 12 months. And of that 12 months, you actually had to be in the country six months of the time. I know that's a bit of a hard one to get your head around because it's quite technical. Give me another one then, Ed. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Let me give you a good one. Let's see, let's see, let's see. An easy one, mate. (laughs) Okay, here's an easy one. Will is a wealthy Colombian man who wants to buy an investment property in New Zealand. Can he purchase or can he not? No. That's right. No, he can't. Even if he applied for consent, that'd be denied pretty quickly because he doesn't meet the rules in order to be able to. Let me give you one more. Shane is a Chinese citizen who holds Singaporean permanent residency. So he's a Singaporean permanent resident. He lives in China now and intends to stay there and wants to buy an investment property in New Zealand. Can he do that or does he need consent? The answer is uh, no, he can't. (laughs) Look, the rules here are complex. There is a really nice tool on the New Zealand government website. I'll link it in the show notes so you can be able to go through and see your situation to see whether you'd be able to purchase or not. The rules are quite complex, so it is good to check and also check with a property lawyer. But generally, if you're a New Zealand citizen, New Zealand permanent resident, Singaporean or Australian citizen, you're good to go. In other instances, there are ways to purchase properties. You just may need to apply for consent in some instances. Hey, look, Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really, really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, why not come along to our next webinar? This is happening Tuesday, 16th of February. It's going to be a great one because we are debating, debating small towns versus main cities, which is the better investment for you. Now, I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. You can register there. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.